When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios. We're into July. We're into the Wimbledon Championships. From Tennis Now, from the Lucky Light Court, joining us again, Chris Otto on the show. Chris, we're literally recording this as Wimbledon uh, finishes play. It's hard to keep track with all the action on the grounds, but thanks for carving out some time in the busy section of the tennis calendar. Mitch, good to be with you. How's, how's everything? It's great. Uh, I liken this week, and especially with the rain delays added on, the first week of Wimbledon with some delays to like one of those Marvel superhero movies where you can't keep up. They're fighting everywhere, and you just is it round one? Is it round two? What's the draw look like? And you know, there's been a, there's been a lot. I guess starting here, Chris, like the rain being a disruptor, not ideal. It's kind of thrown all of us off to figure out who's playing and then putting the tournament in that peculiar position that precarious position of having to figure out what matches to go on and it's been a mess I think they've handled it pretty good and hopefully optimistically the worst is behind us yeah no I think it, it, it's chaos at Wimbledon because it just takes a couple of raindrops and they've got to throw the covers on and on and off for three days you know you're wondering are we ever going to get through the first round well we finally did that today not quite through the second round like we should be, but a lot of progress has been made. The weather forecast isn't horrible. Tennis has been great. Some guys are going to have to back up, you know, best of five matches with yeah. another one in the next day. But overall, doing okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's been good. And then also pointing out that they're playing on the middle Sunday now. That rule done away with. So we don't have to worry about, you know, cramming it all in and trying to get a free Sunday. So that's nice to have. Uh, before we react to some of the early results and storylines and subplots, I, I want to ask you as someone that's been covering this on your Twitter feed, the fan child for, you know, quite some time, all these majors and big events and no different with the excellent coverage at this Wimbledon. But is there a story or an overarching theme that's been standing out the first couple of days? Has there been something that you've kind of monitored as like a bigger picture storyline or subplot at the start of the All England Club Championships here? Oof. It's hard because I get a little focused on the tournament and there's so many things that happen in the day that we're in, like the Liam Brody upset of Casper Ruud. Matteo Berrettini is all, all of a sudden a player you're looking at where you just thought he was an afterthought. But, I mean, we were chatting on Twitter a little bit about Coco Goff, and she's a first-round victim this year. Of course, a brutal draw having to face Grand Slam champion Sophia Kennan in the first round. But I think that that story with Coco's forehand, yeah. people talking about it, whether or not they should be harping on it or not, but you know, the cat's out of the bag and everybody's discussing the efficacy of that wing. When you hear a player like Sophia Kennan just basically admit that she's targeting that forehand on all the important points, and the only reason she's not hitting the Coco's forehand is just to keep some variety and uh -huh. not let her get too comfortable, yeah. you know there's a problem there. Yeah. And then you look at Coco, and you look at her being number seven in the world Grand Slam finalist. Yes, things are going great. She's an incredible player, incredible athlete, bright future at only 19. 
But there is that shot, and that is the chasm between what's keeping mm-hmm. her, I think, from being a real Grand Slam contender and a future number one player that's just going to dominate. Yeah. I got a stat for you, actually. Yeah. And I think it has to do with that forehand we're talking yeah. about. Coco's 24 and 32 lifetime against the top 50. Mm. 41 wow. and three against players outside of the top 50. And, and Kenan, and I just sorry to cut you off, but Kenan not being no. in there now, but being top 50 caliber kind of adds more weight to that stat. Yeah, I, I mean, I just yeah. think that she's beating the people she needs to beat. She's so consistent against players that she should beat. She can leg out points, leg out mm-hmm. victories. She's got to get that forehand into yeah. a place where it's not a liability and best case scenario where it's a weapon. And I think she knows it. She's mm-hmm. talked about possibly working with Rick Macy on that stroke, maybe like taking two months in the offseason and spending time on it. She's got a new coach now, Pear Reba's working yeah. with her. So. Things are changing. I'm sure she's thinking about it. It's not like she's ignoring that yeah. wing. I just think maybe she gets a little too comfortable doing as well as she has without it. 19 unforced errors, I believe, on the forehand in that match, which was it's a lot oh. to say for how, how well she played and how much she has in her bag of tricks to overcome some of those issues. But, yeah, if it's making its way to not just the broadcast booth but to the players themselves, it's such a smart game. The margins are so thin, and these players are so – so mentally strong and, and tactically efficient that they're going to find a weakness at that level. So I think that's part of it too. And that's, that's a good theme. I think other ones that I would point out just kind of a bigger picture sense being, and Kenan's an example of this, seeing a lot of players, former players bring this up, the depth of both talent pools. You know, we can say it might be top heavy for who's winning majors and big tournaments, but the depth is strong. I mean, a player like Kenan going through qualifying, some of these players that are even ranked outside the top 50, top 100, have some serious game. That's something that I thought stood out. And then, Chris, the other one would be, I think we might be returning to, now maybe not completely, but we might be returning to an area or a, an era where you kind of have specialists. You have people that grass is their time to shine, clay is their time to shine. We were spoiled by the all-time greats of the sport, winning on all surfaces, that it's a little hard to do. A player like Berrettini can come alive on grass, and maybe a player like Casper Root says, this isn't really my time to shine. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I think I think you're right with that. And I think, yeah, it's, I love this part of the season for that reason alone is that it really demands a special skill set and an adaptability from players that want to do well. Casper Ruud obviously, you know, took the grass season off, went to see went to see a couple of weekend shows. And there's two more coming up. So he's got two in <laughs> London tomorrow and Saturday. So, you know, I bet he'll be there. Maybe at some point he'll take it seriously, but yeah. you know you hear him talk about what holds him back on the on the grass, and it's obvious he just needs time on. He, he talks about not feeling comfortable following through with his forehand because he swings with so much power and so much torque that he feels like he's slipping every time he lands when he hits a forehand. So basically, his forehand is out of the equation, like mm-hmm. compared to what it is on clay. And then you're, you're right, the other side of it, the Berrettini is Alexander Bublik, very intriguing player right now, still looking a little yeah. bit dangerous in that draw, and other players that are good on grass. And, of course, Novak Djokovic appears to be one of those players who is quite good on grass and other surfaces as well. He is, and, and that's another good way to, to segue, is that Novak Djokovic, I'd say ho-hum, he wins his first two matches, doesn't have to go all the way into the tank. I think he's, we know he revs up and gets to where he needs to get, but he's also going to assess what he needs to do out there. I think we saw that in Jordan Thompson match. He gets Stan next, which is a, an interesting one. He's beaten him 20 times to Stan six, but Stan's got some pretty big wins and actually all the other majors. Um, looking at Djokovic, though, you know he's just so efficient out there, and that's the word I use because he knows that surface like 
maybe no one in the history of the sport. He knows how to play grass court tennis. And to beat him in a best of five at Wimbledon, where he hasn't lost in, you know, five plus years, center court since the 2013 final against Murray, it takes a lot. And and not to only does it take a lot of, you know, physical game, but also the mental strength. Chris, I just don't think there's many humans that even on their best day, if Djokovic is off, can do it. That that list is a short one. Yeah. Well, they need, they need him to be off, mm-hmm. first of all. They need to serve lights out. It's just so many ways he can beat you. He's, he's so he's so crafty on that court. Like, he's 41 straight on Wimbledon center court. Hasn't lost there in 10 years. He just knows the ins and outs of that court. I mean, we just watched Andy Murray finish up another guy who knows that court yeah. pretty well and, know, and knows his way around the grass. I mean, these two veterans are, like, two of the best grass corners of all time, and it's a real pleasure to watch them kind of, like, ply their trade on the surface. Yeah. But Novak... He still has that spring in his step at 36. And I think that's the thing that's that's the thing that's gonna make a difference in a couple of years' time when he starts to lose matches at slams. And I don't I don't see it happening right now because not only does he have the the mental acuity that you're talking about, all the shots, he's still explosive mm-hmm. and moving as almost as well as he ever has. This isn't a hot take, but I think it's pretty clear that whenever he does slow down, this will be the last to go. Like he'll still do well at Wimbledon. It'll be the last yeah. thing that will deteriorate. But, yeah, he has that spring in his step. I think it, it takes someone that has a big serve, that has power, that can finish points quickly. I mean, guys like Murray, guys like Berrettini, Murray not with the serve so much, but Berrettini, if Kyrgios was here, he'd be on that list. Alcaraz, of course, has all the tricks in the world, but he's new to the grass surface. So it remains to be seen, but I think Djokovic, like the, the draw is what it is. I would never say it draws hard for him, but it is a favorable one in, in a lot of ways. So we'll see what happens with Stan and going forward. You mentioned Murray and Sitsipas. We're recording this after that match was interrupted because of the curfew at 2-1 Murray. Sitsipas wins the first set. Murray wins the last two. You just knew, right, Chris, that Murray was going to fight. Like the one guarantee in this match, whatever happens, is Murray's going to scratch. He's going to claw. He's going to do whatever it takes to keep staying in the fight. And I don't know if Sitsipas was shocked by Murray in the second and third set, but he shouldn't have been if that was the case. Yeah. I mean, Sitsipas was playing what? As good as he can for, for two sets. And he, he split them. Credit to Murray for being in there, for, for again, just being, just being really intelligent, really patient. Had a good feeling about Andy Murray last year because he had just teamed up with Lendl and he was going to Wimbledon and I thought he was going to like maybe this is his moment to get back in the mix and really mm-hmm. show what he's made of and I still honestly have been waiting for it all this time I yeah. feel great right now I think he's going to finish off this win against Steph I think he's got Jerry next we can finally see him in the second week who knows how far he can take it from there I mean we already saw he took a fall he maybe has maybe he's a little sore than he'd like to be tonight after that fall at the end of this third set but I love what he does on the grass. I think this is the place. If he's going to make a Grand Slam semifinal ever uh-huh. again, I think it has to be now, actually. Do you think with Sitsipas, and you mentioned it, and I, I agree, playing as well as he could have for two sets, dipped a little in the third, tough moment with the crowd. Playing Murray on center court Wimbledon is not easy, but I want to know what you think of the backhand situation because there's it's been much maligned, and for obvious reasons, how he struggled with that shot. And then noticing today in that third set specifically, he went to the slice a lot. Like it seemed like it was where he felt more comfortable and maybe lack of comfort with just letting it fly and letting it rip. What do you think about Sitsipas's backhand in Wim- on Wimbledon and just in general? Yeah, I think it hurts him. I think, you know, for, for a guy who's in the top five and wants to be top three, wants to win slams, 
It's very um, prone to shanks. It's yeah. the the top spin backhand. It can be a great shot, and and I think when he's in full flight and he's really confident, it's great. But I don't think you see him do that over the course of five sets. There, it's prone to tight points, breakdowns, and I honestly think he's pretty accurate with his slice. But I don't think it bites and cuts through the court like mm-hmm. some of the better slices that we see on the ATP yeah. tour. I think both of those things are probably the, his forehand's amazing. He's serving better than ever, doing a lot of things right. But I think that. The stroke you're talking about is the one that's probably holding him back. I just always felt like he had Wimbledon, winning Wimbledon potential, how he plays, net game too. But for whatever reason, and this isn't a fluke if he goes out this year, and obviously to Andy Murray, but he's had some bad early losses to guys less less ranked than him. Uh, one other thing I got to mention, he beat Dominic Team in the first round in, a, in an epic match, match tiebreaker. Tsitsipas played well in the big points in that one. Best teams looked. I know it doesn't amount to anything. He still got the loss in that one, but... Seemed like it was a positive uh, reaction by him after he was right there. The margins are so cruel in this sport sometimes, but I was very intrigued by how Sitsipas was, or team, excuse me, was looking, was letting it rip, and was there to the very end. Yeah, I thought he looked great, and this is not his surface, right, to shine, and that's a good sign for him. It's just taken so long for him to really hit his stride, and you, we've we're seeing signs of it every week. He just doesn't have that confidence to get over the hurdle. And I think you have to be patient and think, you know, he's going to spend his time on the clay and take his licks. I think, you know, next year, next clay season, he could start to be a factor again. And that would be awesome because I love that guy. I love that player. I love what he's brought to the game in in his prime. And and I hope to see him get back there. North Chris Otto, tennis channel inside in talking Wimbledon into the early rounds still as we, progress to do the action at the all England club got to do the American minute and I'll be honest when I was writing the show notes it was a little more positive than I thought we would get to but some losses here some big wins I'll start with the good sign Francis Tiafo, Tommy Paul each to the third round each doing it in an efficient manner Tiafo, I mean and Paul I guess it's the same conversation right the consistency has just stepped up mightily for these two guys we knew about their their flashiness and their ability to come up with the goods on big points and captivate the crowd. But, you know, Tommy Paul beating Milos, who, who got his first win in a couple of years in a major, so shout out to him, but gets through a tricky test with that. Tiafa with the expectations now continues to buzz along. These guys are really lifting their floor, and I think that's the part of tennis that maybe doesn't get talked about enough is having that baseline game when your A-level isn't quite there. That's a good point. Great performances from both of them, and they are they are similar. They should be lumped together. They're both really quick, explosive movers, good to get to the forecourt, and that's what you want to see on grass. I think that it makes sense to me that Tommy Paul is kind of a little bit of a ringer on grass. Debut last year at Wimbledon, round of 16. I think he's now 5-1 uh, and one on at Wimbledon, lifetime. Yeah. Looking forward to kind of a, maybe a good decade for Paul. He'll, he'll face Yuri Lehechka next. That should be a good matchup. He's really confident. Really, he's improving, and he's on a nice arc. And Francis, what can you say about him? I mean, he's ever since that U.S. Open semifinal, he says that was the match that changed him, and it has. Now he's he wins the Stuttgart title, his first on grass, into the top ten for the first time. Everything he says, everything he does, points to a higher ranking and to even bigger moments at these Grand Slams. He wants to be a part of it. He thinks he belongs. He thinks he can win this tournament. I don't think. I think he's probably the only American that really 
believes he can win Wimbledon right now. And maybe that's the difference between Francis and Taylor Fritz and, and um, Sebi, who went out early, also disappointingly, although Yuri Vesely is no joke at Wimbledon. But maybe that's the difference for Francis, the state of mind. Yeah, I mean, there's not many left to choose from that you know can actually win this thing from who's still in it. But yeah, the, the belief is there. If he gets Holger, that would be a heck of a fourth-round showdown for sure. Tommy yeah. Paul Lehecka, that's a good match. Yuri Lehecka is playing great, and that, that should be a fun one too. Uh, and you mentioned the bad side of things. Korda coming in with confidence, maybe too much. Yuri Vesely is a tricky customer to play on grass. But if you're going to be a real contender, it's a consistency thing. Korda's kind of where Paul and Tiafo were a couple years ago, where there's a lot to like, but you got to be really consistent over the course of a best-of-five match to be a real contender in these tournaments and for Taylor Fritz, like it's, it, that is just a, a very bad loss for him. He has a lot of expectations. He's up two sets against Michael Emer and Mikhail Emer and he loses the match. So I, I know he's not going to be happy with the performance of what went down, but when you are viewed as the guy, you have to find a way to win these matches and at least give yourself a chance in the second week of majors. Yeah. It's been a rough, a little bit of a rough go for Taylor at the slams this year. Maybe a little bit of a hangover from some of the amazing stuff that he's been able to do, being the top American player and success at Indian Wells, success at the slams as well. Just a bit of a speed bump for him. I think yeah. he's going to have to regroup. And, yeah, two sets of love lead. Just hang on to it. Come on, man. Yeah, you know there, there, there's something I've noticed with Fritz, and obviously I'm not going to get into the technical expertise of the people that have played and coached this sport, but he is a – one of the best power players there is in tennis. Some of these players have mixed variety in and it's gotten to him a little bit. We saw it with Manorino in the grass court tune-up. We've seen it at times that, and it's credit to Emer for switching things up. I'm down two sets. I got to just change strategy and change course. So could be something to note there. And I also think that a guy like Ben Shelton not held to the expectations of some of these other players, but you know, going out earlier than he would have liked, obviously, showing you again that tennis is such a process, like the great run at Australia notwithstanding, everybody on tour wants the same thing. So you can have one great run, and it's not going to amount to anything in the next tournament. Yeah. Uh, ben, got, you know, he got his first win at Wimbledon. I guess you'll have to take that. He'll, he'll have to stay hungry. I mean, it's it's happening for American men's tennis. It's never happens as fast as you'd like it, but, you know, things are trending in the right direction. They got a nice group. I think you're right about Fritz. He's He's the guy who really doesn't have the, the most well-rounded, diverse game compared to Francis and Tommy. And that's why I kind of had mm -hmm. Francis tab for success ahead of Wimbledon before mm -hmm. I even saw the draw. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Taylor's got going to keep working and keep improving himself, still very young and, and, and has a lot of confidence. And when he's, when he's on, he's on, and he's, he's really tough to be. He's one of the best hitters of the ball. But as you said, maybe there's a book at him right now that, that people, are, people are reading and using, and so maybe he's going to have to change up his patterns a bit. Anything else on the men before we switch to the women? There's been a lot of seeds that have you know, gone out. Felix lost, Casper Rude, and some other players that might be you know, sliding under the radar. Some of the lower seeds that have gotten to round three and look like they have momentum. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to mention Yannick Sinner because I think he's in a tremendous spot to make his first Grand Slam semifinal. Turned a lot of heads at Wimbledon last year. Took down Alcaraz. Took the first two sets from Djokovic <laughs> in the quarterfinals. And you're and you're wondering. He's young. Grass is an experience that really you know uh, is a surface that really demands experience. So it takes a little time for us to cultivate our opinions on players of whether or not they're actually going to be good on grass. But it looks like Sinner has everything it takes to be good on this surface. 
He's got a great opportunity facing Colton Hallis in the third round. The only seated player between him and the semis is Shapovalov. So very He's looking uh, good all of a sudden. <laughs> Shapovalov's yeah, looking good all of a sudden. That was just what the doctor ordered. I, I gotta <laughs> say, I mean, you you called it on Twitter too. Berrettini getting by Sanego, a match with Demonor that doesn't seem like a round two matchup in the slightest. That could bode yeah. well. I do think Demonor benefits from the fact that they got to go again tomorrow. Like that's that's where I'd have concerns with Berrettini is taking the court again. Don't know what the health's like, but he's on the list. Bublik, Musetti, and Hubie Herkaz, who knows grass as well as anyone, too. So there's definitely some str- – and Medvedev. Can't, can't throw out Medvedev as well because he didn't finish today, but looks like he's kind of in the right headspace. Yeah, yeah. No, I think he's 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 really high up there among the players. I'm impressed that he was able to take it to Manorino because Manorino got him a couple of weeks ago, really flustered him, and has kind of owned mm-hmm. them in their head-to-head, I think. <laughs> Four and two lifetime yeah. wins on against Medi on grass. Um, so that's – if he can finish that win off, it'll be a real big confidence boost for Medvedev, who – in the beginning of his career, we thought he'd be really good on grass. Now, not so sure. So, a lot to be determined with him. Got Alcaraz in the two spot. The three spot seems wide open, but opportunity across the board. Uh, looking at the women, yeah. looking at the women's side now. We mentioned Coco Golf, Coco Golf on the losing side, but props again to Sophia Kennan, the last American to win a major, and she's into the third <laughs> round. She gets Fidelina in a matchup that no one really would have predicted we'd get in this round. So the opportunity is there for Kennan. I also look at it in the sense that, you know, Igas Fiontech wins. She gets to round three, another bagel. I think she's up to like 40 plus in the last three years is something outrageous, yeah. but it's a dream start for her. I thought it was arguably a dream draw with Sabalenka and Rabakina on the other side, but she's playing the way she plays and she's taking it one match at a time. And, we always thought this would, and it is the hardest surface for her, but this is an opportunity. I think you have to acknowledge that Iga has a real chance here, given how everything's lined up. Yeah, you, you said the two phrases that, that I think are the most important. Dream start, six games dropped in two rounds, couple bagels, and dream draw. She's in the good section up there, away from really a lot of chaos in the lower half, a lot of big names, including Petra Kvitova, owns Jabor, in addition to Rybakina and Sabalenka. <laughs> Um, so Iga's sitting pretty, I think it's not going to be easy. No, yeah, it's not. And, and, and just to add on that losing last year, the way she did at Cornet, I think that's got her, you know, her guard up. I think that could be a good thing this year. She knows it could all come crashing down in one match to anyone. Yeah. Big difference for Iga this year. I think she, she took that loss to heart. She took the fact that she had basically no preparation for Wimbledon and kind of like carried that fatigue from winning her second Roland Garros there. And this year tried to do things differently, played in bad Homburg, won three matches, pulled out just at the right time with some confidence, got to Wimbledon, got a feel for the different, you know, scenarios, different conditions, and is playing great. Seems to like really be clicking, really be getting into her patterns, just like she does on clay, dominating the game. Let's see what happens when she faces a harder hitter that puts her on the defense, because that's those are the players who've been able to really, you know, ruffle her feathers the most this season. And I'm not really sure when she's going to line up with somebody like that until potentially the final. So it's yeah. looking good. Yeah, bench is potentially there. I mean, and, and Jesse Pagula, another opportunity for her. She's into round three on the other side, has some real chances there. It's nice to see her progress and, and where she can go with her game. The defending champion, Elena Rabakina, it's in, in a weird way, I think it's good, Chris. She was a little battle-tested early. Shelby Rogers took the first set of their first match. 
There's something to be said for handling the moment, walking out as the defending champ. You got Roger Federer and Kate Middleton in the crowd. You've got all the hoopla. It can be something. It can also be something to play a player like Alizé Cornet, who beat the number one player in the world last year and is a tough test to pass. But she got through those two matches, and I think that bodes well for her going forward. She handles the situation so well. Like you said, dropping the first set in the first round was tricky, but what a great response. She's She just can just blister the ball, right? And she, she's so calm. And you, you see her opponents having all this chaos, just like Cornet today, falling in the backcourt huge drama and there's just this icy poise Rubakin and just doing her thing and looking like she's she's ready to defend this title nine straight wins at Wimbledon has the perfect game for the grass moves so well for her size that's what really strikes me about her she is battle tested too like there are moments where the going gets tough and she's right there like it does there's no dip it's it's been pretty fun to see it's also fun to see Sabalenka play because you know no no data to go off of last year wasn't allowed in the tournament was a semifinalist the year before in a match she arguably could have won. Here yeah. she comes in into, you know, it's always the state of mind with Arena, right? Like, how is she going to handle game-to-game, point-to-point? She's had her best year breakthrough in terms of winning a Grand Slam. She's also coming off of one of her worst Grand Slam losses. So far, so good. We know about the advantages. We also know maybe about the disadvantages of some time to load up on some of her strokes, but... If she's in a match and in a tournament, she's always going to be one of the favorites, it seems. Yeah, I think um, I count on her to bounce back from adversity. I mean, her Australian Open title was all about bouncing back from a 2022 season that was really difficult for her, serving issues, lots of struggles, just frustrated that she couldn't find her best tennis when she needed it the most. She found a way to do it in Australia has had a great season. And then the heartbreak against Mukovo and Roland Garros was just ridiculous. But I could, t- I felt like I could tell from the minute she went into that press conference after that tournament that she was ready to process, move on and handle it and move on. And I yeah. feel like she's showing up to Wimbledon with a good shot. I wouldn't be surprised if she won this title. A few more things with Chris Otto here on Tennis Channel Insight. And I want to get to the remainder of the women's storylines. There's so much to talk about outside of the big three. Uh, and, and I want to start with this because who Sabalenka plays in the quarterfinals and beyond, I'm interested because that section of the draw is exciting. But I got to talk to you about Mira Andreva because I feel mm-hmm. like it's only a matter of time. And it might be sooner rather than later for this 16-year-old Russian with a lot of game, a lot of personality. This seems as sure of an ascent as I've seen in quite some time. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. She just has the knack for winning big matches. I mean, what is it, like three events, four events <laughs> yeah. in her career? Madrid, she made a huge splash. Then she goes third round at RG. And and here she is taking out Krachikova today, who had ended up having to retire, but the match was Andreva's the whole way. This is this is a Grand Slam champion, experienced player. And the 16-year-old is just finding ways to win. I don't, I don't even know enough about her game to really break it down for you, but clearly the confidence, clearly a player that knows her way around the court, knows how to win matches. You know, Maybe she'll take it another step. Uh, Potapova is going to be a tricky one. That's going to be a great third rounder. It's a fun section because I think you could make a case for just about everybody here to make a quarterfinal. Marta Kostuk gets that win over Sakari. A huge moment for the Ukrainian women. A lot of them keep advancing in this tournament. Tough loss for Sakari, who has what two years without making the fourth round of a major, something like that. Like that's that's just that's just not going to cut it. And it's so shocking to see a player that gets consistent results in the WTA tour year by year, but the majors have just been a puzzle. 
Yeah, it's been tough for her. Uh, I'm surprised she's still so high ranking wise. I mean, she's like the top 10 win that everybody wants to have, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah. upset a top 10 player for the first time. Who was it? Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. hell of a player, though. And I think, you know, I think she's going to have to be strong and rebuild her confidence to turn it around. With Kostu Bedosa tomorrow, with mm. Madison Keys in that section, who's no stranger to redlining and playing good, the Potapova and and Drava match like there's a lot of live sec- players in that section seven so I think there's some real chance and I'd like to see you know Madison Keys is someone that I think has been building for this moment too so she's someone that wouldn't surprise me to make a run as also I should add someone that you pointed out on Twitter as an opportune section even before I think she played her first round match but Bianca Andrescu hmm. there's a real potential there for her to finally kind of crazy right that she hasn't had a breakthrough on grass and it's been this much time when it seems like her style would be kind of nice for the surface. Hard, yeah. Hard to say, man. She doesn't seem to be that confident or like doesn't really love the surface. Seems maybe a bit uncomfortable footwork wise. A lot of times players games you think will make, make sense. They have some of the tools that work on grass historically. They don't get the movement right. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of a player that explodes and really, you know, is a hard court mover through and through. So that could be the thing that's holding your back. I want to circle back to a couple things, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. One, you mentioned Keys. How good is she at the slam? She's she's bidding for her 18th trip to a second week at a major. 94 and 40 lifetime at the majors. So consistent in those mm-hmm. first two, three rounds. And if you can get through those, draw implodes. There's always going to be an opportunity for you. And along those same lines, Mrs. Consistency, Jessica Pagula, always putting mm-hmm. her best foot forward. And now she's got a really nice draw, much like Sinner on the men's side. She has a section where actually I could see her making a Wimbledon semifinal. So yeah. the consistency to get through a couple rounds and avoid those early upsets, it always gives you opportunities to play for big prize money and big points later. It certainly does. I would add to that mix someone who survived today, and I mean that in the best possible way, Donna Vekic. It's a tough mm-hmm. loss for Sloan from 5-2 up a set in the second set. Donna was not her best, but she battled. Like that's that sometimes that's what you have to do is find a way to stay in the fight and switch momentum. And she did. And she's in the section where it's Vondrosova, Garcia still around, Buzkova, who knocked out, you know, a retiring and contivate, which is, you know, unfortunate that that was her last match. But there's potential here for a real breakthrough. And I do think that the draw means a lot, which is why if we do get Anj Jabor, Chris, and Bianca Andrescu, that's a pretty good match to look forward to in that third round. Oh, that would be intense, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's still, I mean, it's hard to believe we're still in the second round for some <laughs> yeah. of the players. But yeah, that would be incredible. And you mentioned Vekic in that Pakula section, which I think is the land of opportunity yeah. for the women, that there's there's going to be some big smile in the semifinals there. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't see it being Garcia. As much as I do love her game style and the way she imposes herself, man, a big win today against Fernandez, but um, that's going to be a bit of a surprise semifinalist from that section. So that's, yeah, we can kind of wrap with that. So do you, I mean, we can call it and just be wrong in our predictions, but who would you say has the leg up for that surprise semi spot? I'm feeling a JPEG. I just think, okay. yeah, I think she deserves this grand slam semifinal with how well she's played over the last two seasons. And, you know, maybe she scratches it out, but like you said, Vekic makes a lot of sense as well. I, I, I agree with you. You know, it's funny. I probably would have gone Vekic before today and I'm like, ah, oh, there's, and I still think she can do it and fight her way through. But I do think Pagula with the consistency and, and, and a fighter too, that, that Potapova match in Miami comes to mind and in Indian Wells, both times she played her. So this is yeah. an opportunity for her, but would it surprise you if somebody else made it? Absolutely not. I think there's 
some real chances here. I, I want to wrap with this. There's nothing like Wimbledon because it brings everybody out. We saw players. We saw celebrities. Roger Federer is out. I saw Lindsey Vaughn at the grounds. Beck David Beckham met Anne Shibor. We had some royalty there, too. So there really is nothing like the spectacle of Wimbledon. Yo, man, Wimbledon blows your mind. I'm always jonesing when I'm not there in, in person. Unfortunately, I'm not this year, but it's really special. You know, you hear everybody talk about it, say this is the like Novak, the way he speaks with such reverence about center court. And all almost all the players, you know, to a T are talking about how special Wimbledon is and how what an honor it is to play there. But yeah, it gives you that vibe, mm-hmm. you know. In America, we have our Wrigley Field. It's our it's our time machine. Maybe Fenway Park and a few other arenas or stadiums. There's something about Wimbledon Center Court, the silence in that in that building. Something about the grounds at Wimbledon. There's something about the mystique of Wimbledon that everybody yeah. shows up. Everybody gets excited about it on a global scale, and it just <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. When you get a British player like Liam Brody win today, there's nothing like it. So whenever a British player or Roger Federer wins, it's a different sound. <laughs> He's yeah, the only one that crossed sure. over. But, yeah, it's certainly good. Well, Chris Otto, you can catch him on the Lucky Light Court podcast, writing for Tennis Now on Twitter at the Fanchild, covering the outstanding Wimbledon championships a couple over a week to go, so a lot more content. And the New York Islanders had it, which I'm assuming celebrating Sorokin's eight-year contract, so you got a goalie for the foreseeable future. Oh, so excited about that one. The one good signing they made. <laughs> so good, Chris. Always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on Tennis Channel Inside In. Exciting to follow your coverage all through Wimbledon. Thank you, Mitch. Huge thanks to Chris Otto for appearing as this week's guest on Tennis Channel Inside In. Reminder, you can catch all of his outstanding coverage on his Twitter page, at The Fanchild, as well as at the Tennis Now website for some outstanding columns and articles of the Wimbledon Fortnite, which still has quite a bit to be decided. And a reminder, Tennis Channel Inside In is on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, tennis.com slash podcast for this show, the entire catalog of episodes. If you like the show, you can subscribe on all your podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music. Get every episode automatically loaded into your phone, into your tablet, onto your computer. It's that simple. Just subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Tennis Channel Inside In is back next Thursday to discuss more Wimbledon action as we approach the business end from the All England Club. Thanks again to everybody out there for listening and to Chris Otto for joining. My name is Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. We'll see you next week. Thank you.